My guest in this episode is Maya Banerjee, who is Associate Professor and Program Director of the Speech-Language Pathology Program at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in the Communication Disorders Department. Her areas of interest include AAC, Autism Spectrum Disorders, Early Intervention, Complex Communication Disorders, as well as Degenerative Neurological Conditions. She has published articles on core vocabulary, AAC within the classroom, autism and early intervention. Mayer runs several social groups for adolescents and adults with autism and is the Vice Chair for Speech-Language Pathology with ASHA's Council on Academic Accreditation, or CAA. She is Chair-Elect for the nominating CAA Committee and was also named ASHA Fellow in 2021. So, uh, welcome, Mayer. Thanks for joining. And uh, so, tell us a little bit about yourself and your AAC journey so far. Um, so... My and first of all, thank you, Russell, for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. Uh, my journey in in AAC started in late 1980s. I was working in a residential facility for individuals with developmental disabilities, and um, the speech ser- therapy services there were promoting verbal communication, uh, including articulation therapy. Uh, for individuals who are like in their 30s and 40s. Obviously, there was a lot of frustration, poor progress, and uh, quick abandonment of any kind of speech therapy. It wasn't used by um, uh, the people in the community. Um, uh, The clients there refused to come for speech therapy. So I was introduced to AAC for the first time at that facility when, uh, by a miracle, a communication system was purchased for a gentleman in his 20s. Um, This device was purchased through a lawsuit and because he was um, neglected in the facility and there was a lawsuit and he got his device. That opened the door for me and I took courses at LSU Health Sciences Center, where I now work in AAC. I also then worked as an AAC coordinator at Children's Hospital and as a consultant for Prinky Romic Company. And then later I started working in Early Steps, which is Louisiana's early intervention program, and then started teaching here at the university, first as an adjunct and then as associate professor. So that's kind of lays my background in AAC. In terms of the sort of ways that you have been using uh, the Minspeak paradigm over over the years, when do you recall being sort of introduced to that paradigm? And what were your sort of early thoughts about using Minspeak as a way of coding language? Um, so I was introduced to MinSpeak um, through the Prinky Romic Consultant for Louisiana. And uh, we started, uh, it was a foreign paradigm, obviously, for all of us. Uh, imagine using words and not full sentences programmed on a location, on a communication system. And very quickly, we realized the value of having a words-based system. And then, of course, also providing that extensive vocabulary. 
Uh, we faced, as usual, um, uh, opposition from some of the speech language pathologists in the city uh, in the sense that it was difficult, couldn't be learned by young children. So the PRC consultant and myself, we started a little research project and uh, we used MinSpeak with young users, um, three years, five years, and seven years of age. These were typical kids and mm -hmm. we used it with them and we found that um, the three-year-olds and the five-year-olds did uh, really well with verbs and nouns, whereas the seven-year-olds went into further into adjectives and adverbs, etc. So that was my first introduction to MinSpeak. And then, of course, I started as a Prinky-Romic consultant. And then under the tutelage of Bruce Baker, I learned so much more about MinSpeak. And in relation to, you know, the um, you know the work you're doing now or indeed even sort of the research work and of course your teaching work uh, you know what role does MinSpeak play at the moment what sort of things are you doing what things you're talking about or um, you, um, but what sort of things are you looking at at the moment in relation to the paradigm I think it's so important for our students to hear what MinSpeak is. Um, they do not realize when, when they introduce to a communication system, they are all excited about it, but they feel that they should be providing a competent AC user to them is somebody who can say a whole sentence and uh, quickly. However, we find that they do not teach language. They forget mm -hmm. their speech language pathologists. Gotcha. Min, MinSpeak is something that actually teaches that and emphasizes the role of language. So uh, introducing them to the Brown stages and how MinSpeak works with the Brown stages, how we can teach core vocabulary and how MinSpeak deals with core vocabulary. And once we've taught our users core vocabulary, they have spontaneous novel utterances, uh, which the students get really surprised and are kind of truly impressed as to where they can go with that. So I believe in starting and teaching MinSpeak right away as soon as we have our students on the campus. And in terms of your growth, not just within MinSpeak, but within the field of AAC itself. Uh, who are the sort of names, the sort of people that, the, the people who have helped you most, do you think, over the, the breadth of your career? So three people absolutely come to my mind. One is Bruce Baker, who is definitely my mentor. And I worked with him throughout my uh, throughout my career and definitely a big person to lead me in the right direction. We presented at several conferences, et cetera. The other person that I truly appreciated and made me uh, teach at the university was Lyle Lloyd. He was always with me step-by-step. Step. He wanted me to um, develop coursework in AAC and was a definite mentor in that. And mm -hmm. then my colleague and definitely a big mentor, Gail Van Tatenhove, who emphasized the use of language as far as AAC is concerned. And you mentioned those mentors here. And again, we're, we're talking about people who've been in the AAC field for, for, for quite a time as well. What sort of things strike you 
as having uh, changed in that time? You know, what are the are there any big changes, or has it just been incremental changes? What do you what do you see uh, that that have changed significantly that are worth mentioning to people? Well, um, one of the things that has changed is, of course, um, the use of mobile technology and social media. Sometimes I find that, yes, we do need to use language and language needs to be um, used throughout. But some of the hooks that we have um, are through social media and sometimes through mobile technology. My teenage uh, clients don't want to carry a heavy device around with them. Uh They would much rather uh, feel kind of accepted in the society if they're carrying an iPad. Uh, And certainly you can use language and teach language through that. Um, Also, social media. We've we've been doing a lot of um, research now in how communication doesn't just stop at face-to-face, but it also continues through social media, Uh especially with my users who have degenerative diseases, et cetera. They definitely kind of go towards that. My users who are in their 20s want to do social media, they want to do Facebook, etc. So that is another thing that has changed. And last of all, telepractice. Mm. Um, If the uh, pandemic taught us something is we need to be flexible. And I cannot tell you how creative my students have become in using (laughs) telepractice. And yes, the emphasis is always on language, always on men speak, how to integrate it. But uh, they have certainly excelled in using PowerPoints, et cetera, um, to do telepractice. So I think these are the ways we've changed. However, the basics remain the same. So you always have to look towards spontaneous and novel utterances and generation of that. You always have to emphasize upon language, core vocabulary, and being proficient and competent users. Many of those comments you have there relate to activities that newer therapists would probably take as being part of regular practice now because it's it's what what they've now started and of course you're you're teaching this new generation of therapists is there any is there any one thing perhaps that you wish you'd have known about when you began your career is there any one thing that you could say you know if i'd have realized that or i had done that earlier on i might have made my life easier i remember the first communication systems that i programmed I thought I should start very small, start with only a few locations, and then keep adding locations to that. Well, I never thought about motor planning. I never thought about being automatic with the uh, with the communication systems. If I'd known that earlier, I think some of my users would have probably become really proficient quicker and um, not have had to wait that long uh-huh. when I was ready to uh-huh. act actually expose them to so many more locations and how to use the communication systems with word base. I had full sentences programmed on that. And I thought I was like the expert programmer (laughs) uh, on that and uh, definitely wasn't. And I saw the abandonment. They didn't want to use their systems. But when we went to word based systems, they were able to do that. 
Um, so even my young, uh, because my first time when I started looking at core vocabulary, I was working in the infant toddler program. And that's where I started working with core vocabulary with the toddlers. So even the toddlers were becoming um, so proficient with the communication systems. And one of the other things that you know, worth sharing with folks, I think, is are there any resources, are there any um, that you found particularly useful, both in the past and even now, you know, the, as you were developing your skills as a clinician, what sort of things uh, were out there that you found maybe were, were useful and helpful to you? So I'm a clinician at heart. I do do research, but I do clinical research. So I definitely think conferences, uh, workshop series that not only promote research and look at evidence-based practice, but also how to use that in clinical practice. So I think the Men Speak series is really a good place to start. Uh, it not only gives you the basics, but it also develop, uh, shows you more evidence-based practice and how it has been used. I do like to go to ATIA whenever I can. So conferences um, that are surrounding AAC, I think are really important. Of course, you have to stay abreast with the new technology. Mm. As I always say, you blink your eyelids and there are two more devices on the market and 101 more apps on the market. So if to be knowledgeable consumer is very important. What works, what doesn't work, what features are important and not to be swayed by, um, you know, vocabulary in hundreds of categories, et cetera. So being cognizant of what that evidence-based practice is. Um, so that's what I think would be really important for people. I think textbooks are important. Textbooks are good to give you some of the basics. But I'm never ever satisfied with one textbook. I always like to take information from different areas. Uh -huh. So again, yeah, look for more evidence-based practice that you can, um, and that you can get in conferences, et cetera. Another question that folks usually ask at some point is, you know, one are they... What are the common myths about AAC that are out there? And I'm wondering what, uh, uh, given you had to choose one myth about AAC, what, what do you think you would like to share with people and let them know that, gosh, this is a myth and a little bit about why you think it's so important to get past it? I still come across not only parents or caregivers, but um, teachers and speech language pathologists who believe that AAC is the last resort and that you only go to AAC when nothing else works. Uh -huh. So even uh, uh, they try speech therapy for a while, and then when that doesn't work, they go turn towards AAC. Um, and of course, the reason that they give is that it makes the child lazy, they're not going to talk. So unfortunately, that myth is still around. And then the other myth is, okay, if the child is, uh, if, is younger, or we have to start with an AAC system, let's start with two big pictures, and then go to four, and then go and then build and build so forth. Right. And the vocabulary that they 
use is mainly nouns. Uh, verbs are seldom used. And therefore, and then the big thing is they use yes and no uh, instead of any other kind of core vocabulary. So those are the two things that I constantly battle with, um, with my students, but also with people out in the community. And maybe just a couple more questions. I think I've got sure. you know what, and this is probably going to be the toughest question, really. But folks listening to this, some of them are fairly new to this, and of course, they get to hear folks like yourself who are, come across as experienced and keen. You've done this, you've done that, and you know you know this. But I think it's also useful for folks to uh, realize that sometimes things don't always go to plan. And I'm wondering if if you can think of any time where you had, I shouldn't say a spectacular failure, but, you know, when when something <laughs> didn't go to plan and it didn't work and, you know, suddenly you're not the master clinician, you know, uh, can you remember a time when things didn't work? And, and what did you do to get past that? Well, I think uh, one of the times that uh, a communication system did not work where was where, uh, unfortunately, I was working with a parent who very, very strongly believed in ABA. And uh, we had it where um, the ABA uh, folks just absolutely refused to use an AAC system. Um, they felt it was not appropriate and that they should be manding and tacting using uh, verbal speech. And this child was very, very apraxic, could not communicate using speech. I at that time, we had to cut our losses and we said, okay, um, here's your system. We will, uh, we backed off on that. Lo and behold, after about six months, the parent called me and said, I would love for you to come and do some training with my ABA folks um, because they are seeing that when the child is using pictures or pointing to things, the, uh, the behavior is going down. Down. So we started using uh, lamp words for life with this particular child, and we certainly saw improvement in her behavior go down. I think that was one of my conditions where we just had to say, okay, um, this is a, we have to cut our losses right here. And then, um, but I think they realized after a while when the system was not around, how much more she was frustrated and how the behavior started coming back. It's interesting you say that because, you know, I've, I've always believed that one of the defining characteristics of becoming a professional is it's exactly that knowing when to cut your losses you know you you become invested in an approach you become invested in doing something you go hell for leather you try to do it and then it doesn't work and they the skill to learn as a professional is to say okay this is not working i need to do something different and yeah. and, and you know let your ego go and just say okay we need to move on but on the other side, uh, Russell, I've had a user where we tried everything. We had very, very reluctantly um, recommended um, the accent with, um, you know, words for life. Uh, and um, 
this child wasn't progressing at all with us. We tried everything. He was a child with autism. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually tried using like the vest with him. We removed things from the room, but, and all we used to get was if I could show the, show your video, we have two feet up on the table. That's how we saw him. Um, Several months later, fast forwarding, he started with ABA and um, mom took a video and sent it to us. And we found that this child was sitting with his ABA therapist at the table doing work. Uh Then it was our job now to come in with a communication device, put that communication on the top of what they were doing at ABA teach them sequencing, teaching them how to use a schedule, how to do reinforcement and to infuse communication in what they were doing. And it was like a marriage made in heaven. And we really, and I still have that child on my caseload. He's Ah. doing beautifully with men speak and doing so well with his communication system. So, yes. So, there are both sides of it, you know, that you can, some have great success, some no. Just one more uh, sure. question here before I go to my final three questions. Um, just one more question here is, if somebody wanted to become the next mayor um, <laughs> and wanted to pursue a career similar to yours, you know, maybe not exactly, but similar to, uh, what sort of advice would you give people to say, okay, if you want to end up doing what I'm doing and where I am now, what sort of things should people be thinking about and doing? Oh, my. So I do have a colleague who actually, um, what I call is homegrown. Um, She was my student. And um, I guess uh, she went through my AAC class and taught her all the basics. But also, she went the extra step in learning stuff for herself. And we both now work in the same department and kind of sort of joined at the hip. We bounce off ideas off of each other. Um, So I guess you do need to learn the basics, but you also need to see how AAC can be incorporated into all aspects of life. AC does not work only when the child comes to you for clinic and you work with them for that half hour, 45 minutes or an hour, but it has to be infused in every single aspect of that child's life or that adult's life. So yes, go ahead and learn about AC, but don't forget your speech language pathologist first. So infuse that language into every aspect as well. All right. The final little bit here is what I call the three C's section. So I'm going to ask you uh, to to talk a little bit about uh, three C's, which is culture, courses, and clinical. And for the culture bit, I'm going to ask you whether you could recommend a book, uh, music, or a movie. And why would you recommend that to folks? Well, my book slash movie is my left foot. I love that because um, people did not think that this guy could actually communicate and was cognitively able to do so. And one of the things I've learned in my life is that if you do not expect it of your clients, they're never going to rise to that occasion, to that level. So you have to assume competence uh, and have to provide them with a system that will make them rise to that competency level. 
So that's the book that I really like. And although you've talked about this a little earlier, uh, we can just reinforce this. What about courses? And I mean courses or conference or events that um, if somebody is working in AAC, what would you recommend? What's a, what's a good course or a conference that people should, should keep an eye out for? I like, as I've said before, the Min Speak series. I think they're really good. They start at the basics, but then they build and they put in lots of uh, um, new information into it as well. So I thoroughly enjoy that. I think I would look more for people for speakers like Gail Van Tatenhove or Tracy Kovac. Um, and uh, and look, I also like um, Karen Erickson. Um, so people, speakers who actually um, talk about the basics, but also evidence-based practice and including that in their um, lecture series or the conferences, et cetera. And the... The last one here, the most stressful part. Do you have maybe two or three tips that uh, you could offer to people to encourage best practice? If they were going to take away just two or three things or two or three key elements from this, this session here, what, what would you say? Um, like I mentioned before, presume competence for your, uh, your clients or the people you work with. Um, you know, caregivers are very, very important. Caregivers know their um, their clients or their kids, et cetera. And therefore, you have to give them enough credibility. I've seen where uh, my students will say, oh, they're biased. Well, yeah, but they're with them 24-7. You are not. So again, if you can um, teach the caregivers how to use communication systems, I think you've done your job as well well. Um, so carry over generalization to the natural environment. Um, also promoting communication between users. I love to do uh, AAC groups where uh, we have uh, individuals who are using AAC. My latest group has a user on telepractice and one in person. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, but I think I'm excited to have that you know, take place. And then I think uh, we have to remember, we, as, we are speech-language pathologists first. Language is a very important part of what we do. AC is a mode of communication. We need to bring that language out through our AAC communication systems. So don't forget the basics of language that we can use uh, in order to promote the AAC systems. Hope that answers some of it. <laughs> I think that's an excellent answer. And if people who are listening to this want to get in touch with you mm -hmm. uh, with any comments or questions, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Email is probably my best resource. Um, uh, my uh, email is on my web on the website for LSU, but it's m b a n a j at lsuhsc.edu. And that probably is the best way to get in touch with me. Phone calls is difficult because they call, I call, and we miss each other. But email probably is the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. Well, Maya, 
Thank you ever so much. It's It's been a pleasure and a privilege to spend a bit of time. We haven't spoken since uh, yeah. Asher last year, was it? I think that yeah. was the last time we physically spoke. And we actually saw each other uh, live, I believe. Did we not? Yes. Yes. And are you coming to New Orleans? Fingers crossed. Yeah, that that's that's on my list of things to do. Um, I, yeah. I'm not presenting, uh, but... I, I love going to Asher, so any excuse yep. I can get to go, I think we would you'll find me there, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so great talking to you too, Russell. Yeah, and are you uh, presenting at Asher? Yes, I'm presenting with the AC specialization group. <laughs> I'm one of the people in that. And so we have a invited session. And then we're doing one on interprofessional education, where we have a panel of my students um, talking about IPE. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, my guest was Maya Banaji, the Associate Professor and Program Director at the Speech Language Pathology Program at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. And um, if you have any questions, uh, check her out via email. And once again, thanks, Mayor, for your time and your sharing of knowledge. Thank you so much, Russell. It was a pleasure.